Peace of uh, Christ to you all. Thank you, Alan. As you uh, not only find rest for your soul, find rest for your seats. <laughs> and we'll, we'll get to, to continue the celebration uh, even after the service, right? Uh, Alan, all right. This journey during Lent where we're um, seeking to find rest. You know, what, what we've recognized as we walk through this is that we find that rest because we, we find Jesus. And, and as we'll see in our passage today, it's, it's because this is the very the character of Jesus. That, that, that He is humble and gentle. This is quite a flower arrangement here. How are y'all over there? I can't really see you over there. It feels like it's going to bite you or something. But, but because Jesus, it's his very character. And that character of humility and gentleness is strong. I mean, it is powerful. So much so, it changed the very understanding of humility. If you go back, you study the philosophers um, you know, before Jesus, you know, 2,000 years ago. You'll find in those philosophers um, that they thought humility was weakness and arrogance was strength. But you can go look up a guy named Cicero. Okay? And he wrote about this. And what he said uh, was that you need to, the, 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 the natural order of things, is that you need to find out what you're good at and then you need to promote it. You need to pursue honor for your name, for the good things that you do. You need to pursue achievement. You need to pursue adoration of others for the good things that you do. And those people that don't have good things to do, that they don't have things to trumpet, well, they get what they deserve. That's what Cicero taught. That was the the way, that was the, the philosophical understanding of the day, that humility was bad and pride and arrogance was good. Well, these philosophers and historians, they say, you know, um, that started to change. And they point back, and these are folks that are Christian and folks that aren't, they point back to the first century as the time when that philosophy started to change. The teachings and the life of Jesus and his followers after him changed the way philosophers understood humility and pride. So that today, we, we generally understand, we appreciate one who is truly humble, and we tend to look down upon those who are prideful or arrogant. We see how Jesus changed humility from a vice to a value Because he lived it. Because it was his character, his very nature. Now our passage throughout Lent is in Matthew chapter 11 that we've been singing about and seen already. I'm going to ask that you stand um, as we read this together um, out loud. Matthew 11 verses 28 through 
30. This, this is the word of the Lord. And let's say it together. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Dear Father, thank you again for your written word. Thank you for your living word in Jesus and in the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. Speak to us in this time. Help us to hear from you. Keep aside the distractions uh, that can distract us from from hearing from you and living into you and experiencing that rest because you are gentle, humble. You are honest and good. Speak to us and help us hear. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I, in, our, in our passage, you know, as we mentioned again, that Jesus, he says, if you want rest, don't, he doesn't give us a list. He doesn't give us, here are ten steps to follow. He doesn't say, go take a nap or go take a vacation or go get a new job. Those all might be things that we need to do, but they're secondary. What he first says is, come to me. Because his very character of humility and gentleness is really what we need. And share with you last week this quote from C.S. Lewis you know, that, that captures that. You know, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself. He, he can't give us that rest because it's not there. It doesn't exist outside of him. There is no such thing as rest and peace and happiness that does not come from experiencing and knowing God. And so what, what Jesus um, says, you know, come to me and take my yoke on you. Take my, my yoke. Now here's what a picture of a yoke is. Not many of us have, have seen yokes, but the yoke is the, the wooden thing on the, the shoulders of those two oxen there. You know, Jesus is an ox and we're an ox. And he says, hey, it's, this rest and peace isn't, isn't the, the, the rest from work. It's the rest in work that you have if you're working with me. I mean, it's, it's an invitation to apprentice ourselves to Jesus in all of life. We're his learners, or, or the biblical word is disciples. So he says, yoke yourself with me, and you'll find the work that you do, it fits. It doesn't rub blisters. It, it, it leads to what is meaningful and of purpose. And he says, if you yoke yourself with me, then you'll learn from me. And, and last week we did that. We looked at one of the passages that addressed one of the, the main stressors of our day. And in survey after survey throughout the years, the number one thing that causes stress and burden in people's lives is around money, around stuff, you know, around the future. And we looked at the passage where Jesus says, don't worry about that stuff. Don't strive after that. Strive after his kingdom. And all these things will be added Unto you, so so we learned from him. But it's not just the the teaching, but it is a relationship, right? I mean, we come to him, we walk with him, we live with him, and he will teach us along the way. And because his character, as he says in the next part of the verse, that I am gentle, I am humble in heart, because that's his character. That's how we will experience him. 
when we experience Him. When we yoke with Jesus, we find Him then patient and kind because it's the very character of God and Jesus is God. And so the character of God who says that that He is slow to anger and quick to forgive. That's the Jesus that we will be yoked with. Now it's For some of us, it's not like the coach who's always barking commands and the veins are bulging in his neck and the spit is projecting out of his mouth and you wonder if his eyes are about to as well. It's not that coach. It's not like mom and dad when they lose their temper and get focused more and respond more out of frustration or embarrassment and say things they don't want to say. It's it's not uh, like an overbearing boss who cares really more for our productivity than they do for our lives. Or even not like a teacher who who cares more about how we do on the test than than how we are in life. Uh, Not like a preacher who can care a whole lot more about how much you give and what you do than about your life. Now you yoke with Jesus in life and you find He's the real deal. That He does care perfectly. That we can relax in Him. We can rest at ease with Jesus. We can rest in Him because He is gentle and humble is very core. And at the center of that, it means, as Cedric has beautifully said, that he forgives us all. That he is ready to receive and to forgive us all. All of us and all that we've done that is in opposition to His good and perfect will. Another passage right after um, this one in Matthew 11 is found in the next chapter, Matthew 12. And, and what we'll, we'll see here is, is Matthew, um, he, he, he quotes from Isaiah. And it's in Isaiah chapter 42. And Isaiah was a prophet, uh, one who spoke God's Word 500 years before Jesus came. And, and, you, and, and he's telling us just about how humble Jesus is and how gentle He is and how He leads with power in humility and gentleness. And that's such a new thought to the human way of life that God needed to tell us 500 years before He came. Hey, you got to get ready for this. You're used to people who use power to get what they want. That's not how God in the flesh works. He's going to give power away in order to give life to those that are broken. So he gives us 500 years to prepare for that. I think we might have needed a 1,000. Matthew chapter 12, verse 15. So when Jesus became aware of this, and this being that they were trying to kill him, that the religious leaders were trying to kill him, he departed. Smart move. Many crowds followed him, and he cured all of them. 
And he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not wrangle or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. A couple things just to, to look at here. One, notice the people that Jesus is recruiting. You know, Jesus, Jesus' draft board is very different than anybody else's draft board. His recruiting uh, focus is very different. I mean, he's our, in our Matthew 11 passage that we read together. You know, what does he say? Come to me, all you that are burdened and, and heavy laden. And now here he's saying, you know, come to me, uh, all you who are Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles are those who are the outsiders. They are part of the out group. They they are not the religious insiders. They're not the the people, well, like us. They were in, in meeting with him. They were folks out there. And then he says, you know, that also folks like a, a, a bruised reed or a smoldering wick. Reeds a plant. You know, and a, a bruised reed is one that somehow has been messed up, somehow been hit, been wounded, been hurt. And it shows it. You know, it's not, not so beautiful and bright and, and shiny as, as these, but, but one that's, you know, maybe misshapen. It, usually in the garden, when that happens, we pluck them. We tear them out. We say, get rid of those. Those are ugly. They, they, they do not meet our expectations. So we take them out. But what does Jesus say? No, the bruised reed, I'm not going to break. I'm not going to pull that out. Smoldering wick. Well, look, these, these candles here, you know, I mean, they're all at full attention. Right? They, they are, are showing the beauty of fire and the wick. But what is, you know, a smoldering wick is, you know, one that's just barely, or barely there. I had to practice that. But I can't do it again. I'll faint. Um, but a smoldering wick is one that doesn't bring warmth, doesn't really bring any utility, doesn't bring light. You know, it, in those sub-degree days, we don't want a smoldering furnace, right? We want one that is at full force. But Jesus says that He's come to not snuff out the smoldering, not to say, I'm getting a new candle, get rid of this one. Because He's gentle and humble, He comes to care for the smoldering wick, the one who has no utility in the eyes of the world. The one that's not at full attention, at full beauty, at full force. In his gentleness and humility, he comes for the outsiders, for the wounded, for the broken, for the ones who aren't at full capacity, for those who are sick, for those who are sinners, for those who make mistakes, and lots of them. 
for those who have gone their own way, tried their own path, ignored the way of God, led to destruction in their own lives and in the lives of others. Those are the ones that Jesus says, I've come for. Come to me. Come to me, for I'm gentle. Humble is what he says. I'm not here to beat you up. I'm not here to pluck you out. I'm not here to replace you with another that will work a whole lot better and a whole lot more beautiful. I'm here to love you. You know, immediately before uh, this uh, passage is an event that happens in Jesus' life that leads to it. And what happens is Jesus is in a gathering like this, in a a worship gathering, in the synagogue. And and, um, there's a guy there who has a withered hand, whose hand is like a smoldering wick. Whose hand is like a bruised reed. You know, it's, it's not, doesn't work operationally. It's not useful. It's um, ugly. And so Jesus wants to heal him on the Sabbath. But the religious people of the day, they had rules to follow. And this is a real good warning for the, the, those that are followers of Jesus. Those that um, seek to follow after God. We, we sometimes can get stuck in the rules we're supposed to follow. And we lose the heart of Jesus that is compassion and humility and gentleness. And so here on that day, you know, they, they came up and Jesus said, I want to heal you. And the religious leaders of the day said, no, you can't heal him today. You can heal him tomorrow, but not today. But Jesus yeah, and you know, he could even say, I say, oh, yeah, okay, you know, Jesus, don't lead with your chin. You know, just heal the guy tomorrow. What's one more day? Well, because his point isn't just healing that man. His point is healing all of us. If he just wanted to heal that man, he could have done it quietly on Monday. But because he wanted to heal everybody, even those of us on the inside, even the religious, religious group, he brought him up front on the platform. He said, stick out your hand, be healed. And it was healed in front of them. And sadly, the religious people, instead of being awed by God's healing power that had come to to care for the smoldering wick and the the, the bruised reed, they got mad at him because he didn't do it as you're supposed to. And they lost the compassion and the gentleness and the humility of God. Rules can do that if they take priority. And so they responded to Jesus by wanting to, to kill him. And, and that's then when Jesus, uh, or when Matthew then brought in the quote from Isaiah to say, you see, this is who God is. This is the character of God. This is the character of Jesus. And, and you see it even there. I mean, Jesus didn't zap the religious leaders who weren't appropriately giving him the honor that he was due in that moment of such great healing. And if he really wanted to draw a crowd, you know, to draw, draw a crowd to himself, then, then he would have played to their wants and maybe healed the next day. But see, that's not what he's about. As he says here, you know, he is, he is humble. He is not about himself. Maybe this is the best definition of humility. He is not about himself. He is about the Father. And the Father brings healing to those that are broken. Cares for the bruised reed, the smoldering wick. And he is gentle. So that he doesn't just pluck out the plant that isn't quite in full bloom. And it doesn't just wipe out those that don't meet the, the usefulness, the utility that they're supposed to. 
And, and it's not that Jesus is scared of death, right? I mean, he just knows that he's not supposed to die then at that time. And as Cedric shared with us and reminded us, I mean, in time, he's ready to die. Because it's necessary. And everything that he does is to glorify the Father and to transform his people. So he heals in front of them so that more people will see that and be transformed. And he dies at just the right time. So that his suffering and his death enable him to own and destroy our sin, our guilt, and our judgment. I mean, he takes our place. He becomes our substitute. Again, see this, uh, this humility, this gentleness. He does so without a mumbling word, as we often sing during Holy Week. Without complaint. It's because he is gentle and humble. He is about the Father's business. He is a servant at the core. Servant to the Father. In total trust and total love. And he's a servant to the world. He's a servant to you and me. In total love and sacrifice. He forgives our sin, our selfishness, and he heals our brokenness. So be clear you know, that humility and gentleness is not passive. It is very active. I mean, he's actively healing people who are broken. He's actively forgiving people who are sinners. He's actively calling people out who are sinful and saying, you're sinful, you're broken, come to me. Be forgiven. Now, it is, it is an active, powerful expression of life, gentleness, and humility. And don't think it isn't. Matter of fact, there is no more powerful, active expression of life than humility and gentleness. There is none. I mean, the the world says power is about demanding our own way. Gentleness and humility in active obedience to God, in active power, is the one who says, I relinquish power in order to give you life. Which is harder? Which takes more power? Is it, is it more powerful? Is it more difficult to, to stand on the throne and demand the throne that you rightly sit upon? Or is it more powerful? Is it more active? Is it more of humility and gentleness to be hung on a cross? For the sins of the world when what you deserve is to sit on the throne as they bow down to you. Which is more active? Which is more powerful? To demand your right on the throne or to relinquish yourself on the cross? Again, it's in the way of humility and gentleness that is active and powerful. And that, that power, that active gentleness and humility is not, again, it, it's not passive in the sense of just saying, uh, you know, like, like your, your great-great-grandfather who's gentle and humble just because he doesn't care. Yeah, you know, do what you want. 
You know, just, just don't mess with my stuff in that cabinet. Other than that, go do what you want. That's just sort of a laissez-faire. Hey, do, it, do what feels good. Go and have a good time. You know, that is, that is not the gentleness and humility of, 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 of Jesus. Now, Jesus is clear. He's, he's regularly presenting to us, this is the way of life. This is the way of goodness. This is the way that you need to live. But it's out of gentleness and humility that he presents that truth in clear, precise ways. One way, there's a whole bunch, but I'll pick one, and probably the one that's the most controversial. Sex. This is what I believe Jesus teaches us about sexuality. And I think when I'm finished, every one of us uh, will find ourselves guilty. He says, sex is designed for a man and a woman who have first, and, and this is the order that it happens, Man and woman commit themselves in marriage to one another until death do them part. Then, then they move in together. Then they have sex. And then, if God so blesses, they have children and raise them together. And that that sexuality is to be then in the confines of that commitment of a marriage between a man and a woman. And so that speaks to the understanding of sexuality when it comes to same-sex relationships. It speaks to sexuality when it comes to sexuality before you're married or with someone else with whom you're not married. And Jesus even tells us, you know, and it's not just about what you do with your genitals, it's what you do with your mind as well. If you look on another human being and you want to enjoy their body and they're not your wife or husband, then you have committed adultery in your mind already. Now, if I haven't touched everybody, I've got most of us. And if I haven't got you yet, it'll get to you later. You see that the gentleness and humility of Jesus is not one that just says, well, you know, we'll just sort of blur the lines. The gentleness and humility of Jesus says, hey, this is clearly what God desires. It's what I want you to do. But I want you to come to me, not because you follow the rules. Okay? Hear me on that one? Jesus says, I want you to come to me, not because you follow the rules, but because you don't follow the rules I want you to come to me he doesn't say now you need to go do this this and this go go undo this make this right and then come to me no in the midst of our sin and brokenness now again I pick sexuality because that's the hot one and the most controversial and I don't know maybe I was in a contrarian mood and wanted to get people mad at me I don't know or maybe it was the spirit needing to speak to a few of us And maybe it's the fact that the world tells us something very totally different. But but hear this. Because we've got gentleness and humility mixed up, we think it's sort of a passive thing, then we've started to say, well, maybe we need to change what God tells us brings life. 
or, or because, and rightly so, the church is being judged on being too judgmental. We're, we're like the leaders, the religious leaders in Jesus' day. We're, don't heal on the Sabbath. We're getting too focused on the rules. And that, that comes across as being judgmental instead of gentle. So Jesus doesn't say, doesn't in any way, matter of fact, he takes the rules and gives them a level higher, right? I mean, he doesn't say, you know, don't, he doesn't say don't have sex outside of marriage. He says don't even think it. So, but he's saying, I want you to come to me. I'm gentle and humble because you don't follow the rules. Because you are a sinner. You are broken. You are weak. You get it wrong. You go your own way instead of God's way. Because of that, I'm gentle. I'm humble. Come to me. Walk with me. And let me lead you then into the way of life that I would have for you. That's the invitation of a gentle, humble Savior and Lord, slow to anger, quick to forgive, says, come find rest. Find rest in me. You know, it takes a lot of effort to justify ourselves. It takes a lot of effort to, to say, you know, what I'm doing is somehow make it look right. You know, we got to lie to ourselves or we got to start changing the rules all around or we just got to say the things that I do that are wrong, I'm just going to try to hide them. I'm going to try to avoid them. And they keep poking their head up all over. I mean, it's a lot of effort. There is no rest in trying to lie to ourselves or to lie to God or to hide to God or to hide from others or to convince ourselves when we know in our heart of hearts that what we're doing is broken and and sinful and selfish and not God-honoring. It takes a lot of effort sort of keep all that in there instead of just ripping it open and saying, Jesus, I am broken. I am a sinner. I need you. I'm going to need you till the end. Especially when you're a pastor. It's really hard. Because you're supposed to be good. Psalm 32, 3 through 7. It speaks about our the need to be real open and honest, and a gentle Savior to, so that we can find rest. When, when I kept, while I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you at a time of distress. The rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. That's good. The rest that Jesus offers requires that we come to him. That we come to him open and honest, confessing our sin. You know, confessing our, our sin unto Him and, and releasing it. Releasing that burden of trying to convince ourselves or others or hide it or somehow hide it. Just let it out. You know, the truth shall set, shall set you free. 
And we even have a, an event in Jesus' life where he did this. A, a woman came across Jesus' path who'd been divorced four times and currently was living with a man who wasn't her husband. And she encountered Jesus as that gentle and humble Lord and Savior. And she celebrated her encounter with Him. And she found rest when she, through His help, confessed it, got it in the open, and followed Him, and joyfully shared it with all around. For me, that confession happens regularly in the shower. It's just that great place to be before God, to be bare before Him in every way, and to say, forgive me. And to, to, to wash, and to watch the, 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 the cleansing presence of Christ, wash the, the dirt away, and then down the drain. Because I can't even get to it to bring it back. It's gone. It's that gone. I've wept in the shower more than any other place because that sin, it goes down the drain and in His gentleness and kindness, I can't get it back even if I want to. Now, I'm creative when I step out and I find more dirt. But in that moment, there is a cleansing that is the scandal of grace. That I'm not good enough and either are you, but Jesus is. And we come to Him who is gentle and loving, humble. And in Him, we find the rest that comes from forgiveness. Amen.